You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi there. It's everybody's favorite Broadway nobody, Drew Gasparini here with another episode of Now We're Talking, a podcast where I invite some of my showbiz friends to come and talk to me about everything and nothing, but mostly nothing. Today's guest is a Broadway favorite. Her talent knows no bounds. She's been seen on stage as Elphaba in Wicked. She was also in the original cast of Spring Awakening, and she was nominated for a freaking Tony for her work in the Broadway musical Tootsie. We are so anxious for the world to stop being such a bag of shit so that theaters can open up and we can get her back on stage. I am thrilled that she joined me for this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, now we're talking with Lily Cooper. Her name is Lily Cooper and she's here with us today. Lily, how are you first and foremost and where are you? I'm okay and I'm in Harlem in New York. I'm okay. I'm better than okay. I'm good. I'm pretty good. I mean, we had a lot to celebrate this weekend, so that kind of put me in a great mood. Um, we did have a lot to celebrate. This was uh, obviously you're referring to the Biden win of this election. Yeah, okay is basically as high as I've gotten in terms of my emotional state all of 2020. It should have been it should have been great 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 for much of the year. But because of the events of the year, I haven't been able to bridge past just okay. So the fact that you're like a little bit over okay is miraculous. Yeah, I totally agree. It's even a weird question to ask people like, how are you? Because I don't know, you kind of, I guess, already know the answer to a certain extent. Yeah, we're all feeling just beneath okay. That's what I assume anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for starting with such a a hard-ass question. Um, I know that you have two dogs. I just got a puppy myself. And I think that that's, that's what's helping me inch above okay. I didn't know you got a puppy. I just got a puppy. Please follow the Instagram. My Instagram. I haven't made one for him yet. His name's Commissioner Gordon, and he's awesome. Little Commissioner. (laughs) What a good boy. He is a good boy. He is uh, probably screaming in his crate right now. I didn't (laughs) want to bring him out here for the for the uh, interview. Uh, Lily, this is so exciting that you're here, not only because uh, I have adored you for years and years and years. We've gotten to work together a couple times in the past, and we've been in and out of familiar circles within the business of show in New York City. Uh, But I really want to talk to you today because this is why I'm doing this podcast. I realize that the friends I have within show business 
I hardly know a fucking thing about them. And like you could Wikipedia people all day, but I really want to dig into kind of things that maybe we don't know about you. And we're going to talk about all the things. We're going to talk about Spring Awakening a little bit. We're going to talk about Wicked. We're going to talk about Tootsie and the Tony nomination and all the things. Your interview today with me is is uh, particularly interesting because leading up to your emergence into show business, you were like 10. I mean, you were so, you were so young. So I want to start with what the hell was your childhood before you kind of really took the the dive into the volcano of show business. Yeah, so I grew up in New York. I I was a I really was a Broadway baby because my dad has been on Broadway since before I was born. I think the legendary he, Chuck Cooper. The legendary Tony winning Chuck Cooper. He won a Tony in like 97 or something. I was 7 years old. So that was very much in my blood and in my upbringing, you know, but as a kid, I was super, super shy. I didn't, I couldn't admit that I secretly wanted to be in theater because I was so shy. My dad would always be like, go introduce yourself to this random group of people. (laughs) I would just, I was miserable. And so I started out actually dancing. I was a dancer as a kid. And I like, I don't know, as a dancer in my dance school, I could kind of hide behind things. Um, And it really wasn't until junior high that I uh, kind of broke out of that shell and like found that theater tribe. And one thing that really triggered that was that I was cyberbullied in middle school. I've been talking about this a lot this summer, actually, because I think that it's like something that I really... I really love sharing it because it was a very pivotal moment in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is mean girls era. This is like you're 12, 13 years old, your lifelong best friends from elementary school who you go to a middle school with completely betray you and become your mortal enemies. Like this is what happened, you know? Wow. Yeah. It was kind of dark. Well, I have a question about this because I have two sisters and I watched them go through like hell in middle school and high, a lot of high school as well. And it's, all within their own friend group. Like, I remember being bullied by, like, kids who didn't really know me who were older than me, and they found out, like, I tap danced, and they would, like, prod at that because that was something for them to tease. But this is, like, people within your circle who find malicious tactics in order to put you down. I just can't believe that. And preemptively, before you even get to like where this is heading, I just love that you're now a Tony-nominated badass and all those girls who are ever bitches to you can just go straight to hell, right? Just right to hell. Absolutely. I do wish that they know exactly where I am in my life and all of my accomplishments and uh, deeply regret their decisions because I hate them all to this day. Whoa. <laughs> Let's name names. What are their names? I'm teasing. You know? I, I honestly, I would. Um, yeah, no, it's really dark. It's I don't know what it is about that age. About it's It becomes this very competitive, clicky, just... Hmm angry you know environment where you're trying to discover yourself and understand your own sexuality and personality and all of this stuff and they just sort of attack you all at the same time that's so vicious it's just so so (laughs) relentless and vicious yeah so i decided i had to get out i had to get out of that environment that world i was in this rigorous academic middle school and I decided to transfer to a performing arts middle school, which was 
polar opposite. Mm-hmm. And I made this decision between seventh and eighth grade. And that was really the catalyst, I think, for the rest of my life. I was in this performing arts school. I was with people who loved the same things that I loved. And I found out that I was actually good. Like, I, I didn't know whether or not I was good until I started performing. And the first show I ever did was Godspell in eighth grade. And so fun. my parents always describe coming and seeing me in Godspell. And this was the first they had never heard me sing before. And I sang, oh, bless the Lord, my soul. And the, the way that they described sitting in the audience, they were like, they, you know, I start singing the song. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he got it. She got it. <laughs> Yeah, I had the same reaction. Uh, some people know her, my sister Chloe. When I, when I was 20, she was 10. So that's our age gap, wow. right? Yeah. And I remember coming home from, you know, I think I was playing gigs in LA at this time. And I remember coming home and visiting and Chloe saying, uh, go put your records on. So she rocked that one at her fifth grade talent show. And I was like kind of bored until I heard her sing. I was like, who's this child? And I looked up and it was Chloe, my sister. And I was like, Oh, okay. And now she's lending vocals to like Macklemore and like uh, writing songs for <laughs> Miley Cyrus and shit like that. Very musically gifted family. It's as do you. I, you and I, uh, we both kind of come from uh, yucky, talented fabric. I yeah, think. almost irritatingly talented. You know, mm, people must hate us across the country. Hate us. We should hate us. We should start a musical family club. <laughs> We'll be sure. Okay, everybody. There's going to be a sign up list after this. Sign up if you're in a really stupidly musical family. We'll all be in a club together. The country can hate us collectively. Um, speaking of family, I th- this is what I'm talking about. You are talking about your dad. You were kind of raised around show business. You say your parents both saw you with this gift. It was not. It couldn't have been that big of a surprise to them when they saw you sing. It might have been surprising because you were shy and maybe a little withheld, but. When they heard that you had this kind of vocal prowess, because God damn it, you have one of my favorite voices in the business, outside of the business, any of it. It's just so it's so beautifully textured and and just uh, versatile. You can do any genre. It's wonderful. Uh, But I want to talk about your mom. I feel like we never talk about your mom. Does anybody ever ask you about your mom? Thank you so much for asking me about my mom. Because let's give the woman some damn credit, yo. Absolute coolest. So the reason that my mom doesn't get brought up a lot, I guess, in like specific interviews like this is because she stopped performing before she had kids. So she she's not a performer. However, she completely influenced my love of music and what I listened to as a child. And I completely, I blame her for my voice. I listened to... Ella Fitzgerald and Dinah Washington and Sarah Vaughn and Billie Holiday from the day I was born and at age five could differentiate between them. Like she would, we would play this fun game where she would like randomly play a song Mm -hmm. and I would know who was singing it. And I was deeply influenced by those voices and I thank her so much for that. And, and I think all of my musical influencers are because of what my mom introduced me to. So So like on paper, it sounds like your dad was the catalyst for you into show business. But when it comes to like your musicality and your breadth of musicality, the fact that you can kind of go in and out of these genres the way that you do, that's your mom's doing by kind of giving you 
the tools of all these different singers and like the ones you just named to be able to kind of be at the age of what five you just said yeah. <laughs> and be like, Oh, that's this person. That's this person. That's this person. That's a skill set all on its own. Damn Lily Cooper. Damn. I know. I like thinking back about it. I'm like, that's actually really cool. And that was all my mom's doing. So I'm going to jump ahead, but we're going to come right back to this. Cause I want to stay on the, on the topic of your parents. When you got nominated for the Tony, did you? Yes, that's right. Hold for applause. Hold for applause. You were robbed. Who won that year? Um, Allie, are you kidding? I was not robbed at all. Did you have a thank you speech plan? Did you have the people in mind? Here we are talking about, you just, it sounds like, oh, I've been reflecting on this. My mom gave me the gift of great music my whole adolescence, and that inspired me in such a way. Was that going to be acknowledged in your thank you speech at all? Was that something you had thought about? I feel like everybody was going to expect you to kind of mention Chuck Cooper and the mom right. anyway, but like these important details, any of that included? Yeah, so uh, I love that you asked that because, yeah, I think everybody who's nominated like thinks about, you know, what is the maybe potential acceptance speech I might make? And I never wrote anything down, but I I went through a period of like, oh God, what if I get up there and I have to like list a bunch of people off and okay, I better like just think about this for a second and try to get a list of people. And then I was like, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's mad at you for not listing their name, which is so funny and ridiculous in itself. So ridiculous. There was a point where I really genuinely thought that the only person I would talk about if I won that Tony was my mother. Because nobody could get mad at you for that. Well, not only she deserves everything, all gratitude and accolades and everything, um, but I was like, look, if I have 90 seconds or whatever to talk about whoever I want to talk about, the person that is most important in my life that I am the most grateful for is my mom. I mean, I would not be where I am today without her in so many ways. Like, I think one of the hugest things she did for me when I was a kid, she did work study in the office at my dance studio so that I could take dance classes for free because we couldn't afford them. Oh my God. Working two jobs on top of that, by the way, single mom with three kids working three jobs. And then on the weekends going into the office at my dance studio so that I could take dance classes. Like that's the kind of shit that I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. This, this Tony is for you, mom. You are yours. The sacrifice a parent makes is always fascinating to me because they're they're taking something away from themselves so that you can have a lot more. That's what it always feels like to me, at least. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me. It looks like Broadway threw up all over the walls. These are <laughs> these are the uh, posters of shows that I did growing up, all the musical theater things oh. that my mom has held on to. Some of them I don't even think I was in. I think she's been stealing them from other children as well. <laughs> they're all over the place and they're good. They're such good reminders that, oh, that's right. My mom would like chaperone or my mom would work in the dressing rooms or something so that we didn't have, you know, when you're young and you do community theater, you kind of have to pay to be a part of it. So my mom was sacrificing as well so that I could do this silly career and pursue a silly dream. And like, here we are. And I think it's so funny that you you said earlier, you know, when anybody gets nominated, you're kind of thinking who you're going to thank. Girl, I, <laughs> I have not even been close to having a show on Broadway yet. And I have, I've always been thinking about who I'm going to be thanking in this Tony speech. <laughs> it's good. Dream, you got to dream big. Got to dream big to make it happen. Absolutely. You mentioned, you mentioned that uh, your mom was a single mom and that implies that there was a divorce of sorts or were your yeah. parents ever married or what, what was the situation there? 
Yeah, so I was about five years old, I think, when my parents separated. My I have two older brothers. Alex and Eddie. Alex and Eddie, who are four and eight years older than me. Uh, so when I was five, I'm the baby. My parents divorced, and we stayed living with my mom in Midtown Manhattan, and my dad moved to New Jersey. And he was still, you know, on Broadway constantly. And, the, you know, what's crazy is, like, the most times I would see him – would be like backstage at his shows. Right. And then on weekends, we'd stay with him um, at his house in, in Jersey. But the most vivid memory that I have of my dad as a child is theater related. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my mom was the one, you know, bringing us to school every day and feeding us and all that's great stuff. So, so is it your relationship with your dad now, is it a lot less, oh, he's the, the actor? I mean, like, it's not backstage as much anymore. Do you feel like there's more of a father dynamic? Just in, not that he wasn't initially, but do you think it's more normal? I would say we have a very far from normal relationship. I mean, I adore and love my father and vice versa. But yeah, no, we have a super weird relationship. I mean, if you like, think about it, it's really weird. All of my colleagues, first of all, I'm getting to the age and point in my career where I'm starting to work with the same people that my father was working with when I was a baby. So think about how like surreal that is. So I go to work every day and people are like, oh my God, I knew you when you were a baby and your dad is so amazing and just loves you so much and is so proud of you. Like that's just a surreal, strange experience to go through every day at work, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah we have a weird kind of dynamic to our relationship, but I feel really, really lucky that I have an insider that I'm related to, that I get to call and be like, what's the deal with this random thing related to That's super badass and what a cool connection to have because how hard is it to navigate? I mean, like you've been doing it for a long time, but this is a very tricky business to navigate if you don't have someone close to to kind of be like or to ask questions well how does this work what what's next after this do I, is this the right person to me your dad is a vetted guy he knows man he knows his shit yes he knows his shit he's so smart and incredibly talented and i genuinely look up to that and i think i call him almost every time i get a job with you know questions about contracts or about people I'm working with or he's really a source of, he's like an encyclopedia of all things Broadway. So I have this great resource just at my fingertips. Do you feel like there's ever a moment? I mean, here you are a Tony nominated actress. You've, you've done significant Broadway shows, not like, Oh, I was in this show once I was in this show once like spring awakening for Christ's sake. These are significant uh, landmarks on Broadway. There are moments you're talking to your dad that you're like, all right, old man, I got it. Like, is, does he ever give you a, you know, without saying the word mansplainy, does he give you a mansplainy explanation to something that you have to roll your eyes at a little bit? Because here you are vetted as well doing this, like it's your damn job. No, you know what? I think that the kind of rapport that we have developed is I have great pride in what I've learned from him. And what he Mm -hmm. has taught me is um, to hold value in myself. And whenever I have a scenario where I know I I have stepped up and I have proven myself and I have, you know, made a strong decision that others might be afraid to make, 
he's the first person that I go to to brag about that, you know, as opposed to him being like, you should have done this and you should have done that. I'm the first person to be like, guess who I said no to today? (laughs) (laughs) That's so boss. Oh my God. Your childhood, let's go back to middle school and going forward now a little bit. Uh, Because you were, you were (laughs) a fetus (laughs) by the time you made a Broadway debut. I was a bebe, yeah. You were a bebe and workshops and everything. And we're talking, of course, about Spring Awakening, Um, the original cast. It's already been revived. Is that nuts to you? I can't. I can't. No, that's not fair. Does does it make you feel old? (laughs) Yeah. My dad is just there's just recently a show this past year that was supposed to open on broadway carolina change that's the first show that he originated that has been revived like my father is old and he's never had a show revived before it makes me feel old as fuck are you kidding you're not even 30 are you i'm 30 yeah i just turned you're 30 you just turned the well happy birthday 30 everything sucks after this i'm 34 your life is about to change in the worst way i'm telling you (laughs) (laughs) at least i don't have to give any shits right that's what everyone says yes far less shits given but i feel like you've already had that part down i really you've had nothing to prove for a good long time (laughs) uh speaking of let's talk about you did this Godspell thing. Your parents saw that you had talent. When did when was your dad or your mom? Let's catch your mom's name real quick. What's her name? Tisa. Tisa. Oh, cool as shit, man. Yeah, she's badass. Uh, so your dad and and your mother Tisa, they recognize this talent. Do they go? We got to get her an agent, or do does your dad use any connections he has, or was it like you are? If you want to pursue this, figure out how. How did that work out? So you inched toward um, getting cast in Spring Awakening. Yeah, yeah, no, no nepotism whatsoever. You'd you'd imagine it the other way, but really, truly, no. I mean, uh, I went to LaGuardia High School, where my where my brothers went, which is the Fame High School. Uh, so we had great resources there because agents and managers would come see shows there. But yeah, truly, it was like, all right, if you want to do this, you got to figure it out. Like, go do your thing. Go yeah, figure your shit out because you know my parents knew deeply the life of an artist and were like always supportive but were never pushing me toward it please if I could be a lawyer I'm sure they'd be pretty happy with that too but I'm not (laughs) uh, so when when I really expressed interest in the theater I think they were always cautiously optimistic because Mm -hmm. They know the the downsides of it too. They know the terrifying lengths of unemployment and you know not Absolutely. being groceries. So there was, I think, a little bit of like fear in the concept that all three of their kids were going into the arts. So constant support, but never you know pushing me one way or the other. I was really the one to like take the steps, and I got my I got an agent I got a card from an agent after a show I did in high school because they just sort of like poach kids in high schools and I like right just took somebody's card and called her months later forgot about it I was not ready in my mind to be auditioning and so it wasn't until six months later this agent happened to have this perfect job for me to go in and audition for and my first ever audition professional audition when I was 15 years old was for a workshop of Spring Awakening. My mother was in the waiting room with me because- Lisa I'm sorry, you said you were 15 years old. I was 15 years old. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Like, what the hell was that like? Did you, and you, there's obviously no clue of what this is going to turn into for you. 
no. I mean, I didn't know what an audition was besides like I auditioned for like my musical in my high school, you know? Yeah, which and I've heard that high school musical auditions are basically copy paste of what a Broadway audition is like, right? Identical, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, like similar to my high school musical audition, Duncan Sheik taught me a song in my school. <laughs> <laughs> imagine being a 15 year old and you go in and you like do your sides and you do your fucking song and I like forgot words in the sides at one point and got I was I was very nervous but my mom always describes because she was in the waiting room she was like I heard I was listening in the waiting room and she knew I got that job when I was when she was listening in the waiting room Tisa right yes Tisa so it was crazy I sang I think mama who bore me and then Duncan she took me into a room uh <laughs> Sounds very. Yeah, that sounded a little casting couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and taught me the Dark Noel, and I and so I had to learn this song in ten minutes, and then I sang it for the creative team there, and then months later, this is a fun little fact that a lot of people don't know. I got a call from the agent that I was working with that the show was cast, and they cast all of the women but they really loved me and wanted to figure out a way to put me in the show. So they added a female role to the show. That is not true. That's true. It's factual. Yes, that is the truth. How come you ha have you been on Jeopardy as in like, have you been a mention in the categories yet? Rest in peace, Alex Trebek, but have you? No, no. One day. One we, day. This is like really amazing trivia shit. I love this kind of stuff. They created Marta for you. So they created Anna. Anna never existed. The Frank Vedekin play didn't ever have the, a fifth girl in it. And uh, so I played Anna in the workshop. And Anna, I was, I didn't, I had the scene that Marta had, but I didn't sing Darko Noel. And then, you know, work, how workshops work. We just develop things and combine things. And I actually had to re-audition between the workshop and the off-Broadway production to to be kind of bumped up to the role wow. of Marta. So I technically played two roles in that show. I played Anna in the workshop, and then I got bumped up to Marta in the off-Broadway production, which subsequently went to Broadway, and I sang Dark and I Well. Well, everybody needs to shut the fuck up and stop talking about Leah Michelle because you have you're you're the more exciting one. You like in terms of your involvement in the show from the beginning. Who the hell knew that you'd bounced around from part to part? They tried. They just incorporated you however they could. And the workshop experience was like you got to throw ideas in the bucket too. Is it like that? Oh my God, yes. Bill, like Bill T. Jones, literally created that choreography on our bodies. Would be like what would you do when you looked in the mirror? And we'd be like, I don't know, I'd like to touch my face. And that was the choreography. Like it was, sure. we helped create it in every aspect of the, you know, it was really cool. <laughs> so the show, the show's off and running. You guys are in Times Square on a Gap billboard ad. You guys are all over the, you know, the view on TV everywhere. The soundtrack is going crazy, it becomes a cult phenomenon. But you have these the background of a normalized showbiz family when you were watching these young whippersnappers get their first real check for the first time and be young celebrities for the first time were you falling into that a little bit or would you kind of look at that and be like y'all are kind of foolish and don't know what's ahead 
Sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I got, I like got a paycheck for the first time when I was 16 and I was like, what am I going to spend this on? This is amazing. And I would have extravagant birthday parties and, you know, but I also paid my way through college. No way. Yes. All by yourself. All by myself. I mean, my mom definitely helped like during the time, but I paid for college. I paid off my student loans within a year because of Wicked. Get that alphabet money. Hey, I was able to focus myself in that way and not just like frivolously throw away all the dollars that I made. Yes, yes. So it went towards something, which I was, I was very grateful that my parent, that my mom specifically was like, you need to do this this way. Um, I think that really helped me. What made you decide that college was an avenue for you? Because again, the, some of the, I know that whole cast. I mean, I, I've, I've been friends and stopped being friends and then became friends with them again. That entire original cast. Dated. I dated or tried to date basically every girl who ever did Spring Awakening at some point. But the route of going to college was not necessarily what most of those kids did. They just kind of said, I did a Broadway show. I'm going to keep pursuing some sort of uh, acting career or whatever it was without taking the time to go to college. But you kind of managed to juggle that playing Elphaba, uh, uh, continuing your acting, but you also went to Vassar. Was that right? I went to Vassar as a film major. And, you know, I think it was a lot of aspects. I was always really, I was always a really academic kid. I loved school and I knew I wanted to go to college. I wanted to have that experience of being on a campus and learning about myself and growing and, you know, opening my eyes to p- different types of people. And that was something I was yeah. super passionate about. And at the same time, I happened to be in uh, this wonderful, amazing group of the last original cast members, which was me, Remy Zakin, Phoebe Stroll, Skylar Aston, and Brian Charles Johnson. And we mm-hmm. were all ready to go at the same time. And that was really such a beautiful moment because we had as a group decided that we wanted to finish our spring awakening experience together. And it was right when Remy and I were both applying to colleges. And we, so I not only had that support from my friends and family, but I had that support within the cast to be like, yeah, it's your time to go to college and it's our time collectively to leave this show. So let's make it this, um, like this sort of like perfect serendipitous moment to let ourselves out into the wild world um, right and it was it was great it was so cool i mean the show. And you're you're still very close with uh i'm assuming most everybody from the cast yes yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much we have an we have an original cast um text thread that we still text each other every now and then and that's how often do you keep up with that i'd say i get a random text on that thread probably every week Okay, that's that's a that's a close friend. That's a you know this day and age, I feel like that's a good keeping in touch mentality right there. One one random text a week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, was there ever any, like, competition within the the cast? Because it seems like... Here's what I'll refer. I'll I'll compare it to when you hear like Jennifer Aniston talk about friends and how yeah we're actually really close we're actually real life friends yeah. you don't expect that necessarily I mean you want that to be the case when you see a bunch of people like on stage giving everything and like having those moments together on stage you really want them to have that kind of um, dynamic bleed out off stage as well so was like. Was there ever any bad blood between you guys or was this the show that kind of was like, I'm going to hold that in my heart forever because I'll never have an experience as special as that? I would say 100% both scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> there, Because like, yeah, there was drama. We were horny teenagers. Like, oh. of course there was drama. And yeah. of course there was like shit went down backstage. Yeah, dude. So, I won't talk details, but <laughs> it was dramatic at times. Friendships have ebbed and flowed. However, we literally grew up together like right. our ages ranged from like 15 to 22 i think and mm -hmm. that is a very formative time in your life and we were together throughout this process for like up to three years i think mm -hmm. upwards of like three years or so from beginning to end so no matter how we felt about each other on any given day we still looked at each other as family and as lifelong friends and i and i do believe that that is the case like we are we have this connection with each other that can't be severed. Um, and, and when it's a phenomenon, the way that Spring Awakening kind of was, I mean, there's you can't escape the, well, even if we ended up enemies by the end of it, we're still close because we went through something together. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. And nobody, nobody knew. Nobody knew it was going to be what it was, right? Did no. anybody say, like, early on in the process, I think this is going to be a hit? No, never, never, not once. Absolutely not. We had no idea. We didn't even know we were going to move to Broadway when we were off Broadway. We were like, oh, this is a fun little rinky-dink show we're going to do for two months right. in Atlantic. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're moving to Broadway. Oh, just kidding. You got nominated for 15,000 Tony Awards. Oh, <laughs> you're going to win all of them. <laughs> like, That's right. Eat your heart out, Hamilton. They have the record. It's 15,000. You heard it here from the mouth of babes. Thank you so much, Lily Cooper. 15,000 Tony nominations. That's a good factoid. <laughs> Guys, I got so wrapped up in my conversation with Lily that I totally forgot to bring up the fact that she originated the role of Sandy Squirrel in the SpongeBob SquarePants musical on Broadway. You know what? Actually, after you listen to this podcast, what you all should do is go to Spotify and check out everything she's done, from SpongeBob to the Spring Awakening soundtrack, and of course, my album, We Aren't Kids Anymore. Now more with Lily. Um, I have another question about your your upbringing and yeah. the the nature of show business. Again, it's kind of just been this normalized thing in your life because A, you were raised in New York City, which in, in and of itself is an amazing thing to just announce and say about yourself. I think 
proper New Yorkers are some of the coolest people on the planet. Right? I agree. I agree. And not only was I raised in New York, I was raised on 42nd Street. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I have to I, that with a badge of honor, you know? I'm like very proud of that. Yeah, of course. I mean, like you, your commute to work is shorter than any other person's commute to work, basically, with that having Sometimes been the case. I would leave my house five minutes before half hour at Wicked and I would bike there and I'd make it in time. That's a, that's risky business, Alphaba. <laughs> You're gonna get docked those equity points. Um, but I wanted to bring it back to kind of that family dynamic. We talked about, you know, the ebb and flow of friendships and relationships within the cast of Spring Awakening. Before that, you talked about your brother, Alex, who I know, I love Alex, and Eddie, who I don't really know, but he has also pursued a life with the arts and he's done amazing yeah. stuff as well. But all three of you went to LaGuardia High School, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, when your career, you're the baby of all of them, and your career starts booming off, arguably, before theirs did in any sort of direction, what was, there was a, uh, was there a big brother pride? Was there a family pride? Was there a contention? Was there jealousy? What shifted in the family dynamic between the siblings specifically? I don't think there was ever an inkling of jealousy. I think it was utter pride um, and joy. And I felt that so palpably it was this thing that we could share as a family as a success it was this success that you know i was reaching that we felt was this communal success because my family you know we're so tight in that way and yes. and are so supportive of each other in every endeavor and i've always always felt like my brothers are the hugest support and fans and just loves of my life. I love hearing that. I call this the umbrella theory, where somebody's success within the group is everybody else's success. If it's oh, a right. rainy day and one person has the umbrella, everybody's invited under the umbrella. You know what I mean? So yeah. your success felt like their success. I love that, Lily. I love yeah. that. Absolutely. Oh my God. Totally. I love that analogy. It's so true. And it's been that I'm going to get an umbrella tattoo. I'm saying it here on the show. Here it is. I'm going to get an umbrella tattoo. Is that stupid? Is that like stupid? It. A little emo. No. I, it's it emo, sounds like the like... lyric of like a dashboard confessional song or something like that. <laughs> when you got to work with David Yazbek, who is my, one of my favorite composers of all time within um, outside of Broadway, even. I don't know if you know the Carmen San Diego, but good Lord. Okay, I was working with a man for two fucking years and I had no idea until someone dropped that bomb on me. Dude. And then I geeked out around him. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't. I, here's a great story about David Yazbek before I ask you a bunch of questions about him. I was doing a master class where it was like we invited composers and we had Tom Kitt, we had Adam Ghetto, we had Janine Tesori, we had all these amazing composers come in and the class, I moderated the class and the students had to sing the work of that composer so that they could get honest feedback from the person who wrote the song themselves. I think it's a really neat uh, thing just to get context of pieces and whatever. It's a really neat exercise. But when I invited David Yazbek to do this, his email response to me was like a page long, and it was just a list of things he would rather do than... <laughs> 
than listen to anybody sing his music so he could give feedback. And they were, they got horrible. He'd like, I would rather have a tapeworm be removed. I would rather have uh, a root canal. And like the whole thing was so crass and amazing. Does not surprise me in the least. That is a perfect example of David Yazbek's personality. That's He's hilarious. got a wonderful, a wonderful sense of humor. I really like the guy and his music. And uh, this is again where it showcases your your versatility because you hear the score from Spring Awakening. Everybody knows Alphaba is like a whole new level, especially some of the baritone notes you were singing in Spring Awakening. <laughs> At fifteen, you were going through your baritone phase, yeah. <laughs> um, but then you go off, you go go do Alphaba, and now we have like a really a beautiful leading lady songs. I hate to like qualify it in such a way, but like I, they sounded like musical theater in a sense that I haven't heard you sing. And I was really blown away by your performance. What was different about this? You got the Tony, obviously, the Tony nomination, obviously, but what was different about this experience that was, that sets it apart from the Wicked's or the Spring Awakenings of the world? You know, I went into that audition for Tootsie knowing the the two big songs that I sang, I had to learn those for the audition. And I genuinely felt, David and I had never met a day before I walked into that audition. And I felt like he wrote those songs for my voice. And I don't know how I got so lucky. I do not know how I got so lucky. It just happened to be the most perfect fit in my voice. And I loved singing his music, loved it. It felt good, like my body felt good as I sang it because yeah. it felt like this puzzle piece fitting so perfectly into this puzzle. And I, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. It was magnificent. And you know, to be honest, the music that I sang for the most part for, for throughout the entire development that I was a part of it really didn't change. Yeah. And, I I loved that. I got to live in it for so long. And especially when you're developing a show from the beginning and things are constantly changing, it's really hard to get into the swing of things. But because yeah. I had these two songs specifically that stayed pretty much the same from, you know, workshop to Chicago to Broadway, I really got to live in them and be so comfortable in them. And I think that's why it was so successful. Also, like you said in your email, David is so blunt. He does not, you know, skim around the surface. If he will tell you what you're doing wrong. And as much as that can like maybe hurt your ego for like 30 seconds, it is so helpful. He taught me that I had this little Lilyism in my voice that I never knew I had. And it's not a bad thing, but it's just a good thing to be aware of. What's and the Lilyism? I want to, I want to know what it is. I think it's, I think it's, I honestly think it's an Ella Fitzgerald thing. It's like a, it's like um, a trilly, a trilly note changing thing. It's hard to like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Anybody right? who listens to Ella Fitzgerald probably knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, you're explaining it how I, it makes sense to me. I hope anybody who's listening to this yeah. can kind of figure that out. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. It's like, hee, any changing note, right? That little flutter. He pointed that out to me and I never knew that I had that. And so I just loved his bluntness. Like I really, really loved working with a composer mm -hmm. who would be very brutally honest with me. 
And I think it helped. I think it worked really well. And um, well, I, I saw you in the show. I think I emailed you that day, just kind of like, and I think I believe one of the things I said in the email was, "You make it look so easy. You make it look so easy." And I think that applies to everything you're saying right now. Is like the songs just fit. The songs just worked. And you and it's I, what you were just saying about uh, Yazbek pointing out a habitual thing that you had been doing as a singer. Uh-huh. This is good for anybody to hear. I yeah. think it's important for people to know musical theater is collaborative in every direction. It is about everybody commenting on every little piece because the end goal is the show. It's not one person. It's not one song. It's not the score. It's the whole scope of things. It's the show itself. So the fact that you are telling this right now, any of these listeners, I'm sure they're obsessed with you. And I'm sure they're obsessed with the idea of what happens in theater might not even realize that those things that are told you are not to be insulting. They're to better a performance, to get it towards what they want, which is a great show, which is something you guys clearly accomplished. It did so well for such a long time. Um, when you got the Tony nomination, were you surprised? <laughs> I was. I was genuinely surprised. Uh, I was asleep. I was, <laughs> I was in my bed. I didn't set my alarm because in my mind, I had resigned to the idea that I wasn't going to get nominated. And so I didn't really want to be up and awake and watching the broadcast, right? So I was rolling around in bed. I realized that my phone hadn't gone off. I figured if I got nominated, somebody would call me, right? I roll over, I look at my phone. I have about 60 text messages and like 25 missed calls. My phone was on silent. My mom calls me and she's the first person that I talk to. She's like, Lily, where have you been? It's been a half an hour. You got nominated for a Tony Award. What? I'm just, I'm asleep still. Uh, And that's how it happened. (laughs) Wow. And then the actual, I mean, you looked amazing. The whole, the whole, uh, the event, the Tonys that year was a big, crazy one. What was that feeling for you? You'd seen your dad go through it for yeah. you. How was this different? I know this is so cheesy, but I have to be honest. I did not care about winning. That was not on my radar. And that is the reason that I had so much fucking fun at the Tonys because I was yes. not putting stress on it. I was like, Yes, I'm wearing a fierce ass dress. I'm wearing like thousands of dollars worth of jewels. I look real cute. I'm gonna eat all the food at the plaza. I'm gonna be on television. This is gonna be great. Like that's where my mind was. I was like, I'm not gonna put the stress on me because I fucking got nominated for a Tony. That shit's dope. That is right. High up. That's a pretty high accolade. That puts me in a very small pool of people that you know everybody else isn't in. And yeah. I was able to, you know, have that mindset and that allowed me to have the most fun from beginning to end. And I was really grateful for that. Uh, that was like a recommendation I got from a, from a friend of mine and, and, and it was really helpful. We, That's I'm- a great recommendation right here for anybody listening. If you get nominated for a Tony, damned it. Who cares if you win or lose? You're a nominated for a Tony. Enjoy the fucking night. You probably fucking didn't eat for weeks before this just so you could look nice and the whole thing. I would have been pigging the fuck out. I would have brought a little joint and had it in my pocket and like snuck out every once in a while. Here's my big fear. 
Of course you did. You're a classy broad. But here's my big my big fear. If I'm ever at a ceremony that's televised, like the Tonys is, or something like that, if I were to ever to be invited, fingers crossed one day, Karate Kid hitting Broadway soon, if I'm sitting in an environment like that, here's my true and honest fear. I'm going to shit in my pants. That's my actual honest fear because I get nervous. Like on the subway, I'm like, the minute the doors close and I feel trapped... I go, this is the day I shit in my pants. I bet these are the people I'm going to poo in front of. It seems irrational, and I might need to see a therapist strictly for this, but if I was on the Tonys, they'd go to my chair listing the nominations, and I wouldn't be there because I would have sprinted to the bathroom way too scared. I would have. I had a similar fear because I couldn't get out of my dress by myself. And I was like, I'm going to have to hold my pee in for like four hours. Like, how am I going to do that? So I was terrified about not being able to pee. And the Tonys are really hard because they usher you out and then they usher seat fillers in if you miss the entrance in between commercials. If you don't get back to your seat in time, you miss an entire segment. They can't switch you out because they don't want people walking in the aisles during the broadcast. So if you, what if you left right before your segment, potentially you wouldn't have been let back in? Potentially, but somebody like a stage manager comes up and tells you your segment is next. So like they make sure that you're there. They, they, they make sure all the nominees are sitting in the seats when their nominations come out. But the second like your nomination goes is when everybody like runs to the bathroom. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Oh my God. I thought you were going to say that your biggest fear was that you couldn't hide your face because there are cameras all the time. And that's what my biggest fear was, was what if I made some terrible facial expression about some other person that I hated and it was like on national television, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Who's someone you would have hated that you would have made the face at? Do you actually hate anybody? No. I think there was a big yes behind that no, but we'll we'll leave that for the behind the scenes podcast when it's just you and I. Um, we're gonna wrap up here real soon. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask a, a few silly questions if you don't mind. Right. You're going to Disneyland. I'm painting the picture for you. Okay. You're going to Disneyland. You have to bring a cast member from Spring Awakening and also a cast member from Tootsie. Who are the cast members you bring with you to Disneyland? You're gonna make a lot of people feel left out, but let's be as honest as possible. Easy. Oh, great. John Groff and Santino Fontana. Hello. I'd get the Disney wow. treatment. Duh. Oh, of course, because that's half of the fucking cast of Frozen the movie. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't even think about that. Here's the thing about John Groff. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to start beef with him right here on this podcast. Bring it. I don't know him well enough. But everybody I talk to loves him as if he is their father, brother, uncle, wife, husband, all of the above. He is like a, a, a messiah for people. Yeah. I just want to say on record, go fuck yourself, John Groff. What of Ooh. it? What are you going to do about it now? Oh. <laughs> first person to ever utter that sentence yeah i feel really like a pioneer right now i really feel like i am starting the movement people need to start hating this guy he's not human if no not one person hates him come on yeah so basically you're doing him a favor you're humanizing him by hating him that's right i just want to bring him down to a human level i am so tired of this messiah thing that everyone keeps referring to he is just like the greatest individual uh that having been said john groff if you end up listening to this i would love to work with you i'm looking right into the camera (laughs) as if someone's gonna see this um okay second stupid question for you let's go to the 90s do you remember the 90s 
Hell yeah. Okay. I was born in the 90s. I was born awfully close to the 90s. That's not the same, but I have a really good recollection of certain things from the 90s. So I'm going to bounce some things off of you just for fun, because you're close enough to my age that I think we might land on some of the same things. Uh, do you have a favorite Nicktoon? Cart- like Nick- Nickelodeon cartoon? Like a Nickelodeon cartoon, they were actually called Nicktoons, and I'm referring to like Rugrats, Rocco's Modern Life, Red and Stimpy. It was, I would say it's a tie between Ren and Stimpy and, um, uh... Lily just fell asleep. Wait, and I'm asleep. What's the one with, um, Dexter's Lab, Dexter's Lab. Is that a Nicktoon? Dexter's Wait, no, Lab? What's the labyrinth one with the rat? With the with like the little mouse and the rat? Isn't that oh. a Nicktoon? No, you were in the desert on peyote, and I think you were imagining yeah. this. This was just a couple weeks ago. No! Uh, there's like a little there's like a little rat, I think, and like there's like a lab, there's like a mm-hmm. science guy. But I've loved that show. It's your favorite show. You have no idea what the title is, but it's a labyrinth and a and a rat. And it no, this does a sound like a, a laboratory. <laughs> Lily, we've just discovered Lily's Amish. I don't think she's ever watched TV in her entire life, actually. Uh, more more 90s bullshit talk with you, just because I love this nonsense. Okay. Favorite one hit wonder from the 90s, if you can think of it. Isn't it amazing that there's an entire chorus where there's not one word uttered? It's mbop, dabadopdop, oh whoa. <laughs> there's there's no words in that whole chorus. And it's one of the greatest pop songs ever written. I have a feeling that um, when all is said and done and everybody listens back to this, Lily, what we're going to learn is that your upbringing is not like most people's. You navigated show business so well and you continue to do so. Would Broadway closed, what's going to happen when we open back up? What do you want to be doing? Do you want to get back to acting? Has you ha- Have you given your career any extra sort of thought during all of this? You know what I'm dying to do is more plays. I would love to do a play on Broadway. I'd love to do classics. I'd love to do Shakespeare. I'd love to do new plays. I want to do a play. I want to not worry about, uh, you know, having to be on vocal rest like every six months. Well, God, I hope you do all that, but I hope that in between all those moments, you continue singing with my shit every once in a while. I will. Don't worry. At the very least, sing your boy's stuff because you know he likes writing a tune for you. Lily, this is going to be the wrap up here. I have had fun with you because I always have fun with you. You're one of the chillest human beings I know. Uh, Your career is so amazing, but beyond the career, what a cool upbringing. Go Tisa, go Chuck, shout out to the parental unit, Eddie, Alex, the sibling unit. And uh, I think anybody listening to this is going to understand that you don't need to kill yourself to make this job a happy place. You can navigate it with grace the way that you have. And one day there's going to be a Tony in your hand. I just know that for a fact, because uh, you're the kind of soul that deserves that kind of good, good. And boy, once the world opens back up and I'm back in New York for a minute, I would love to grab a martini with you and and shoot the shit in real life in person uh, because you're a wonderful lass and I just have a good time talking to you. Thanks, bro.
I agree. You know, all the all the way. All the way. Uh, so we're going to be signing off. Thank you so much, Lily Cooper. Thank you. And here's my one word of advice to everybody. Don't be an asshole. Yes. Thank you for that advice. Don't be an asshole, kiddos. Hey, it's me, Drew, with a big, fat, wacky outro. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast of Now We're Talking with me, Drew Gasparini. Well, I've lost it today. Oof. Now We're Talking is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network, and what a family it is. You can find out more about me and this podcast at bpn.fm slash now we're talking, and also follow my sexy ass on Instagram at Drew Gasparini also on Twitter at Drew Gasparini and if you want to get a little nuts then go ahead and follow me on TikTok at the Drew Gasparini. I had to get the Drew Gasparini instead of just Drew Gasparini because some other jack off had Drew Gasparini. Anyway, tune in next week! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.